Welcome to Ballpark Banter, a podcast dedicated to exploring the 30 ballparks of Major League Baseball. We're a pair of ballpark gurus who've been to every MLB stadium and now want to take you through what it's like to catch a game at each. On this show, each ballpark gets its own episode where we'll explore its history and then dive deep into the facts, figures, and fun anecdotes that make it unique. Follow us on social at Ballpark Banter for regular doses of ballpark trivia and visit ballparkbanterpodcast.com for more information. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ballpark Banter where we're exploring the 30 ballparks of Major League Baseball one by one in the same order as when we saw them all in one summer with our good friends as always. Shout out to Kendall, Jack and Ruben. My name is Travis Parker-Smith, and with me, as he is on every episode, is my friend and fellow ballpark guru, Kellen Larson. And today, we're heading to the Music City to explore the home of the Detroit Tigers, Comerica Park. Kellen, as always, before we dive into the fast facts of the stadium, take people around the bases, give them a history of this ballpark, let's start from the top down with reactions. What is the first thing you think of when you think of Comerica Park? I remember these nice roomy concourses. If I remember right, their floor plan is they've kind of recessed the food areas. They've created a kind of food court and the food options that they do have right on the concourse are far enough back that you've got plenty of space to navigate as you walk through the park, as you search for one of those food options, as you go to find your seat, whatever it is you're doing. I've can think of some other parks in which you're fighting for elbow space constantly on the concourses because the food and beer lines are squeezing you or even at um, at T-Mobile Park before on a sellout crowd, you can get kind of caught in this little left field corner that really narrows by the Kids Valley line for the garlic fries. (laughs) I remember, remember, yeah, this kind of big, spacious, roomy feeling that uh, that I definitely appreciated. It makes, makes for a nice game day experience yeah i think it's funny that you brought up t-mobile park that's obviously our home ballpark and one that does not have much concourse space if it's a sellout crowd you are really struggling to make your way through those concourses um whether you're fighting bathroom lines beer lines food lines or just the general like large crowd that's trying to squeeze through a small bottleneck um i always have that experience at other like older parks like fenway or wrigley for sure or then just parks that always have a ton of people in them. <laughs> Yankee Stadium, you know, it's built into a smaller plot of land or or target field, certainly, where you feel a little bit squeezed. This ballpark, and we're going to explore this, is built in downtown Detroit, but takes up a good amount of space and kind of spreads out a little bit, as you said. And it, it does make it so that it's it's pretty easy to navigate the park, even on days when the Tigers sell out. I think for me, the first thing I think of is that carnival. <laughs> that's in the corner of the ballpark and and this is actually one of the bases so i'm not going to go too deep in there but anytime there's a national broadcast that takes place at comerica you're going to get a shot of the ferris wheel or you're going to get a shot of the the carousel or kind of the strange state fair vibes they have going on here which are a little inexplicable but we will explore when rounding the bases all right let's dive a little bit deeper orient us even more to comerica the home of the tigers what are the fast facts of this ballpark Well, we have just one name. It's always been Comerica. The capacity is listed at 41,083, which would rank it 21st of current day ballparks. 
The largest crowd we can find on record was a crowd of 45,280 on July 26, 2008 for a game against the White Sox in which they were honoring the Negro Leagues. They were wearing the throwback uniforms of the Chicago American Giants and the Detroit Stars. I wonder if a handful of the other regular season crowds that have marked largest crowd in the ballpark at hand are some sort of honoring like this, maybe like a an induction into the team hall of fame for a certain player, or as you said, like a throwback night or some sort of honoring of local legends or this really cool one here honoring the Negro Leagues teams. It would make sense because we've seen a handful of just random regular season games thus far, like at Chase Field in Arizona, which has notched the largest crowd in that ballpark's history, where it's it makes sense that there was some sort of extra attraction to come to the ballpark that day instead of just like, oh, it was a good game against the White Sox, you know, an interdivision. Yeah, some sort of special occasion that really brings every ticket holder into through the turnstiles, right? Rather than rather than saying you're too busy and uh, falling asleep with the tickets in your pocket. Yeah. And on this occasion, I mean, 45,280, that's over 4,000 more than the stated capacity. So you've got a lot of standing room folks there, perhaps in those wide concourses that you already explored. We're now going to take you through a history of this ballpark. Comerica Park has a history that's quite similar to many of the retro classic ballparks that were built in the 1990s and early 2000s. What I mean by this is that that park replaced a preceding ballpark which had stood for decades and was decaying. And then Camden Yards had shown a brilliant new design that would appeal to fans and city residents alike and bring the ballpark into a more urban orientation. Yet while most of these new parks that I'm alluding to, such as Petco, T-Mobile, and Citizens Bank, were built to replace more suburban multi-purpose venues that were constructed in the middle of the century, Comerica is one of the few that replaced actually a decaying jewel box park. A couple other examples include Guaranteed Rate, which replaced Comiskey Park, and Yankee Stadium, which replaced Old Yankee Stadium. There are, however, some differences that set Comerica Park apart from these other ballparks that replaced stadiums from the jewel box era. We have to start with the preceding park itself. So the Tigers are one of America's oldest baseball franchises, with the team having started playing in the 19th century. And for seemingly forever, they played games at Tiger Stadium, which was one of the diamonds of the jewel box era of ballpark architecture, having been built in 1911. However, unlike many jewel box parks like Wrigley or Comiskey or Fenway, Tiger Stadium actually was morphed to house the Lions football team for over three decades, which made it a rare jewel box park that was transitioned into a multi-purpose venue for a while. I think that's pretty cool because this was not built as a large dome. It was not built on the outskirts of town. It was still pretty urban, held this cozy jewel box nature to it, but was actually built out to be able to house larger crowds for football games. I'm wondering if this is the best example of a multi-purpose venue, the the most attractive multi-purpose venue, if you will. I, I don't know if there's such a thing as an attractive multi-purpose venue. Certainly when we've looked at uh, some of the drab concrete donuts or toilet bowl stadiums, as they were called, like Jack Murphy Stadium or Memorial Stadium or the Kingdom, 
don't know, Callan, do you have a greatest multi-purpose venue that might come to your mind or or should we settle it on being Tiger Stadium? No, I, I think that with multi-purpose venues, like all squares are rectangles, but all rectangles are not squares, meaning mm-hmm. typically multi-purpose venues have been of that style in a certain yes. location away from the city, built with a lot of concrete and not much character, which it's not totally happenstance. Of course, the versatility needed for multi-purpose may lend itself to a, that kind of cookie cutter type of design, but it doesn't necessitate that kind of design. Having multiple sports and events in in a ballpark, you know, I mean, we still see soccer games and football games and hockey games in ballparks um, built as ballparks to this day. And I think it's actually great. You know, you run into some space issues. <laughs> I I think of how they how closely they can fit usually a, a football field onto a baseball diamond. Like I saw brushes up against like the outfield fence right at the corner of the end zone. Exactly. Uh, Iowa and Northwestern played at Wrigley Field. I think they even made like a put a flat surface over the dugout so they could expand a little bit for um, behind the uprights. But I think this this has to be in the running for for greatest multipurpose venue, because a lot of the venues that would be in the running that that hosted multiple sports for a long time, they don't um, they don't elicit the same type of interest or or romance yeah. that Tiger Stadium does because of their yeah because of their look or their location. Yeah, they don't have the same charm maybe as Tiger Stadium. I think if we are going to take the traditional multi-purpose venue into account here while ranking multi-purpose venues, I'll probably also give a nod to the Astrodome, which was the first stadium that popularized AstroTurf and a dome <laughs> and also had the first uh, video scoreboard, which we explored in our History of the Ballpark episode. Anyway, back to Tiger Stadium. Perhaps the best thing about this ballpark was its nickname. It was called The Corner as it stood on the corner of the popular big streets of Michigan Avenue and Trumbull Avenue, going toward that urban orientation that we've already alluded to. Tiger Stadium went through many remodels through its decades and decades of existence as ownership and fans alike really tried to cling on to it and save it from its crumbling state. But by the time the 1990s rolled around and modern ballparks were kind of coming back into fad post Camden Yards, it was becoming apparent that Tiger Stadium had really reached the end of its life, and therefore launched the search for a new ballpark in Detroit. Now, a key choice was made here. While many of these new retro classic ballparks were being built in kind of up and coming or traditionally seen as down and out districts of the city that are often called like the warehouse district, think of Soto in Seattle or Navy Yard for Nats Park in DC or the Gas Lamp Quarter in San Diego, Detroit opted to keep their stadium in downtown. This is a city with many warehouse districts, if you will. But not only that, they elected to build Comerica Park in a very happening part of downtown in the business district in an attempt to really revitalize downtown Detroit with plans for the football stadium, Ford Field, soon to follow. This choice puts Comerica into a unique strand of ballparks today. So whereas most urban fields really took that aforementioned cheaper option and opted for a warehouse district or maybe on the slight outskirts of the city, Comerica is built right next to theaters, churches, and business buildings. 
Now, we're going to go deeper into those specific buildings as we round the bases. But first, let's explore a little bit more of this urban orientation by taking a look at Comerica's walkability. Because of exactly what you're describing, Travis, this is great for walkability. It's right there near downtown. And as you said, is neighbors with a bunch of other attractions and community spaces. For that reason, we'll give it like a 65 on the 20 to 80 scouting scale for walkability. This is a, an above average player. I think Comerica Park gets gets to that level in kind of an interesting way. It's definitely got some holes in its swing, if you will. So I'm thinking, you know, a well above average player, an all-star even that um, conspicuously maybe doesn't have five tools, but four. So Comerica kind of has, it has a lot of parking lots immediately yeah. surrounding it. Parking lots that serve both Comerica and its neighbor, Ford Field, and its other neighbors, like like the churches and, and things that we'll get into. And it's also kind of crisscrossed by these freeways. So, you know, so maybe maybe it can't hit the curve, but great defense, uh, great base running, good power, like, like Javi Baez <laughs> gets it to well above average and a star for walkability. Yeah, I think the huge parking lots that surround this might distract people from thinking that this is a very urban-oriented ballpark, but it is, and it's a pleasure to visit. With that, we're now going to take you around the bases of Comerica Park, giving you three things where you do have the pleasure of visiting this ballpark. You should go and check this stuff out, or if not, you should at least know about it. Do you dream of visiting every major league ballpark? Know someone who does? Or maybe you need a new gift idea for a baseball addict in your life? Check out Touch Em All, a book written by me, Travis Parker Smith, host of this show. Tracing the tale of four teenagers who drove a beat-up old hippie bus to all 30 parks in one summer, this memoir is a fun, easy read that's perfect for this baseball season. And it's the inspiration for this podcast. Order it online or, preferably, from your local bookstore. And head to ballparkbanterpodcast.com to learn more. Now, back to the show. Kellen, what's on first at Comerica? Yeah, we've been unpacking this. Comerica is a great example of how ballparks now are primarily situated within the cities. So mostly gone are the days of the more rural stadiums, the more suburban ballparks, save for maybe like Kauffman or or Anaheim. And in are the days of like the metropolitan ballpark. This is why we talk about walkability scores, like the location of your ballpark is really important to how it is experienced by fans, players, um, and and everybody that interacts with it. Yeah, this is a podcast that gives people an idea of what it's like to visit a ballpark. Probably a lot of folks who listen to this are taking a road trip to other cities to go and see baseball games in new stadiums. Therefore, the experience is not just what happens when you enter the gate, it's how you get to the park itself, the atmosphere outside, maybe the walk from downtown or the ride on public transit. 
It's important stuff that is encapsulated in the general experience of the ballpark at hand. So as you were mentioning, there's definitely kind of a middle ground where you've got a kind of industrial area warehouse district where land and space is more accessible. And a lot of ballparks find this as their home. I think, again, of T-Mobile Park in Seattle, it's in the Soto neighborhood south of downtown. So it's kind of on the edge of downtown, but but to the other side is you know more industrial part of town. Comerica, though, is built like right into Detroit's immediate downtown, like really just right into its business and entertainment district. So think of it this way, like Comerica is squished between two historic Detroit churches, St. John's Church and the Central United Methodist Church, both of which are on the National Register of Historic Places. And the ballpark is directly across the street from the Fox Theater, which is known as the crown jewel of Detroit. And it's one of the most impressive and important performing arts venues, not just in the city of Detroit, but in the country. This is fascinating. And I I don't think people who go here really realize how unique this is, because are there other examples of like churches or theaters that sit immediately next door to a ballpark? Right. You know, I can't really think of other ballparks that are located right next to such buildings like a church or let alone two important significant churches or right across from something as significant historical as uh, the Fox Theater. So to draw some comparisons from a Detroit level, this would kind of feel like putting Fenway Park right next to like the old North Church in Boston or putting Nats Park in DC, like right in front of the Kennedy Center. Hmm. And these three buildings that we're talking about actually just share Comerica's parking lots to house attendees when the Tigers are playing. You know, what I'm trying to get at here is that if you visit Comerica, Take a stroll around. Be sure to look at these these interesting historic buildings that are surrounding it. You're you're surrounded by these iconic Detroit landmarks, and it's it's cool. It's a unique spot for a ballpark. Yeah, and I think actually the sharing of the parking lots kind of goes to redemonstrate the urban orientation here, where that on days the Tigers don't play, these parking lots are used for the St. John's Church and the Central United Methodist Church, or when the Tigers play a matinee game, sometimes they'll. Like the 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 parking lot attendants will have to usher cars out pretty early so that the uh, ticket holders for shows taking place at the Fox Theater have access a couple hours before the show when the parking lot flips over and turns into uh, the place to house cars for those going out for dinner and, and some theater that night. Rounding first and heading to second, on second base at Comerica Park are the nine Tigers of the stadium. No matter which way fans approach the park, you are all going to see the brick exterior of Comerica, a feature that labels this throwback-style retro-classic park that, as I've said a thousand times probably on this podcast already, were popularized by the turn of the millennium. It's loosely based, like many of its peers, off of earlier stadiums, such as Camden Yards. But besides the brick, fans attending a game at Comerica will also certainly see the Detroit team mascot. Detroit's baseball team originally got their name, the Tigers, from a military unit called the Detroit Light Guard, which is Michigan's Army's National Guard, which was nicknamed the Tigers. So this animal is incorporated everywhere into the stadium. There are two huge Tigers walking on the scoreboard in center field, and gargoyle-style stone Tiger heads with baseballs clenched in their teeth 
circle the exterior, but perhaps most notably, at the two main entrances, fans are greeted, or rather stared down by, nine massive stone tigers weighing an average of 5,000 pounds, each of which represents a player on the field. It's hard to overstate how big these things really are, truly. There's one main tiger that's guarding the entrance at ground level, but the eight others are prowling up above the entrance. They're so big. They've got to be the biggest statues attached to a ballpark. Even even Stan Musial <laughs> up on his pedestal, it would be dwarfed by these by these tigers. Yeah, people like to take pictures of them like hanging off of their fangs, uh, or at least the ones that are accessible right in front of the stadium. The other ones, they might look a little bit smaller because they're up on the concourses, as I said, patrolling the edges of the ballpark. But these big stone tigers, nine of them to represent the nine starting players on the home team, are gigantic and a little intimidating. They all have their mouths mouths open in this roar and are focused on the pavilion below when fans enter. It certainly leaves an impression as you walk through the gates of this ballpark. Further, and a final fun fact about the tigers here, I've learned that a group of tigers is called a streak. That's the plural noun for tigers, which is, might I say, a happy baseball coincidence. Rounding second and heading to third, Kellen, I mentioned this earlier in what I think of when I first think of Comerica Park. What's on third at this ballpark? On third, we have a bit of a curveball, something out of left field, if you will, which is the carnival at Comerica. Out of all 30 ballparks, you might expect to have a few carnival rides. I think most people would wager like maybe Angel Stadium near Disneyland or Lone Depot in Miami and not really Comerica Park in Detroit, but down the first baseline on the main concourse, there's this massive carousel, which is complete with 30 hand-painted tigers and two big old chariots to ride. And this also just goes to amplify what I talked about on second base about how the mascot of this team is everywhere. You've got the Tigers on the scoreboard. You've got the the Tiger busts with the ball between their teeth. You've got the nine Tigers out the side of the stadium. And then randomly, there's a carousel in the ballpark with 30 Tigers that you can ride on. Exactly. And if you happen to be seated down the third baseline, well, not to worry. You can get your carnival ride fix on the 50 foot tall fly ball Ferris wheel complete with cars that look like baseballs. (laughs) And to top it all off, don't miss the big cat food court that surrounds the carousel for some elephant ears, corn dogs, and ice cream, because what carnival is complete without, you know, an abundance of unhealthy fried food vendors. Yeah. And I'm sure you can get plenty of Coney dogs, the staple ballpark food of Detroit at the big cat food court. I love that you have an element of this kind of carnival atmosphere down the first baseline, another one down the third baseline, and then, as you said, an entire food pavilion. Maybe that's why the concourses are so cleared at this ballpark, because everybody's going to the big cat food course. As you said, though, it's not like Comerica has a Disneyland sponsor, like Angel Stadium once had, or that it's a part of this futuristic ballpark concept like Lone Depot. Why is all this carnival stuff here? Yeah, if you know the story, please write in. From <laughs> what we've gathered, we we haven't exactly found like a pointed history behind all these features here at Comerica, but really they're just attractions for families with young kids who might have trouble sitting for three plus hours of Tigers baseball. And, you know, it's not a bad idea. Many stadiums have play areas for young kids and families. Comerica just took it to another level to blend baseball and your classic kind of state fair experience. 
don't blame the kids or sometimes the parents for struggling through three hours of Tigers baseball over the past handful of years. I I won't lie. I'm hoping that things look up for Detroit's team because they are a storied franchise that are easy to root for, but the team is rarely good. Rounding third and coming home, a final fact about Comerica Park. Comerica is the only ballpark in baseball that still has a keyhole. Now, we touched on this very briefly while discussing Chase Field, which used to have one as well. But a keyhole is a strip of dirt that connects the pitcher's mound and home plate. It was very popular in the jewel box parks of old. Again, Comerica Park honors Tiger Stadium, a jewel box park built in 1911, but really has since become quite passe. However, the keyhole in Detroit is not the only groundskeeping feature that Comerica prides itself in as being unique. It is also the only MLB ballpark where the dirt area surrounding home plate and the batter's box is something other than a circle. At Comerica, it is, perhaps appropriately, a pentagon shaped like home plate. That wraps it up for this episode of Ballpark Banter. If you're enjoying our show and want to support our work, you can buy us a hot dog at the next game we attend by heading to ballparkbanterpodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to check out the book Touch Em All by Travis Parker Smith to learn more about our story and the reason behind the order in which we explore these ballparks. Special thanks as always to Kendall Young, Jack Wilson, and Ruben Palmer for their imperative role in the inspiration of this show, and to all the fans out there who dream of catching a game in every Major League ballpark. Ballpark.